Okay, we're going to hear on the bottom of Kufchad Mudbet by Hua Yomer, second line from the bottom. We just had quoted a Brita to support Shmuel's statement about washing one's eyes in the morning and their hands and feet in the afternoon. And then Hua Yomer, we have that Tana, Rabbi Mona, also used to add in this information, which is, Yad the ayin, tikatzeitz. Hand touches the eye, should be cut off. Yad the chotem, hand touches the nose, tikatzeitz, should be cut off. Yad the peh, the hand touches the mouth, tikatzeitz, should be cut off. Yad the ozen, tikatzeitz. And hand to the ear, should be cut off. Yad the chasuda, tikatzeitz. Hand touching the hole left by the bloodletting, tikatzeitz, should be cut off. Yad the ama, tikatzeitz. Hand to the aver, should be cut off. Yad the piyatabat, hand to the anal orifice, tikatzeitz, should be cut off. And then yad the gigit, tikatzeitz. And a hand to the beer, or the barrel of beer, should be cut off. Yad misama, a hand will blind. Yad mechareshet, the hand will cause deafness, Muteness, yad, male, polypus. And the hand causes bad breath or bad smells come out of the mouth or the nose. So what we're speaking about here, and the Gemara is going to clarify this in a second, is in the morning. When one wakes up in the morning, they have a ruach ra'ah. They have this spirit on their hands that needs to be removed. And if one touches any of these orifices before they wash their hands, then that is considered to be dangerous, and that's why all these are tikatzeits, it's hands we cough. Not literally, but it's a warning. Be careful about this, because this is a serious issue. The one has to wash negelwasser, one has to wash tilatidayim in the morning, before they touch any orifice in the body. So that explains at least ayin, the eye, the chotem, the nose, the pad, the mouth, and the ozen, and the chasuda. All of those are orifices where a person would touch them, before they wash tilatidayim, that would be dangerous. And that's what we saw in the conclusion of the statement of Yad Nesameh, Yad Mechareshet, Yad Maleh, Polipus. As far as Yad Ama and Yad Piyatabat, Rashi over here claims that they're not a part of the same list. They're not the issue of Negel Vaser, of Ruach Ra'an hands. Rather, that's just a practical issue. The Adamati Katsait is something we saw in the Gemara Nida, that a person shouldn't touch their aver because it causes stimulation, he might be malakari. And Yad the Piyatabat, one shouldn't touch his inner orifice because it causes hemorrhoids. So that's just a practical issue, nothing to do with washing a dime or not, separate from that. Yad the Gigit is interesting, shouldn't touch food, which is the way that we pass in Aloha, that one shouldn't touch food before they've washed Negel Vasar. As far as the beer or the gigit, this barrel of beer that is concerned, Beit Yosef does not bring it down, although we do pasca that we shouldn't touch food. question is why? So some want to suggest here that touching the beer or coming into contact with the beer is negative for beer in any circumstance. While it's fermenting, while it's being created from the hops, that it's not good to open it up or interact with it, and it's bad. Although, it seems strange because Allah shown of the bright is so strong, which is tikatzeitz. Your hand should be cut off if you touch it. It seems more apropos to the rest of the list, the remainder of the list, which deals with things that have serious ramifications in terms of ruach ra'ah and washing your daim, rather than simply, uh, this just good advice about not touching your beer while it's being made. Tanya, Rabbi Nathan Omer, Bat Chorin Hizu, this Ruach Ra is called Bat Churin, and it's Makpedet. Until you wash your hands three times. That's Negel Vaser, where you wash your hand alternatively three times. Each hand switching on and off. Each hand, you do it three times. Mishnah Burr brings that it's a good idea to wash it fourth time. You wash in the morning to remove the water from the Ruach Ra. The first three times is to remove the Ruach Ra. 
So that water that has the rachrat that is being removed from your hand, you should pour four times to wash it away from your hands. That would be a total of eight, according to the Mishnah Brewer. Rabbi Yochanan, Poch, Mavir, our gears in the Gemara is Bat Melach, the gears in the Bach is Bat Chorin, which would match up with what we just saw before, which is Stibium, this eye ointment, that if you put it in your eyes, removes the effects of the Bat Chorin. If someone had touched their eye prior to washing the Tila Tiyadayim, then this poch would be efficacious for removing the effects of touching one's eye prior to Natila Tudaim. Poseka the Dima also stops the eye from tearing. Omar Besear Ba'afapaim. And it also helps one to grow long eyelashes. So this poch, the stibium, is very beneficial. It seems to be it was a good eye ointment to use. Kecholenayim is a makeup of some sort, but here it seems to be used distantly rather than just simply as adornment of sorts. Dayanami Ochi of a brighter that supports this. Rabbi Yossi Omer, Poch Mavir Bat Melach. And again, the gifts would be Bat Chorin, according to what we have in our Gemara. Poseke de Dima, Umar Besear, Bafapayim. Exactly what we just saw before, that it's efficacious for these three things and helping remove the effects of the Ruach Ra'ah that had touched it and stopping it from tearing and helping one to have long eyelashes. Leaves have no din of rifua medicinal designation. Rashi claims here that it's talking about eating of leaves. Eating, whereas Tosafot says that he doesn't think it's talking about eating here, but rather it's talking about placement on the eye. Because the remainder of the Gemara is talking about things that you place on your eyes. So he thinks here too, the leaves placing them on the eyes. Now, Amar of Yosef, Kuzbarta, Coriander, Imba Mishum Rufua. It's not efficacious medicinally, or it does have a designation of being medicinal. And Amar of Sheshit, Kishot, Ein Bayam Mishum Rufua. Kishot is either hops or Kuskuta, which also do not have this medicinal designation. Now, the reason that this is important is with regards to Shabbat, I mean, something that we're going to get to on a Mishnah on today's daf, something that we mentioned again before, the distinction about what can and cannot be used on Shabbat has to do with the designation of the item that you're using. If it is something that's otherwise used by healthy individuals, then it's not an issue for you to use it on Shabbat, even though you are potentially sick, because normal people would eat this, normal people would act in this way, and so it's not clear, or it's not obvious, that you're using this for medicinal reasons, and therefore it's mutar on Shabbat. If something is only used by sick people, or only used medicinally, then if you use it on Shabbat, it's clear that you're performing rifu'ah on Shabbat, and then you run into the gzerat chachamim, the tanat chachamim, that we may not perform rifu'ah on Shabbat, take medicines on Shabbat, because of shem yishachek mamanim, that maybe he'll crush the medicines to make the medicines, he'll use the pestle and mortar, which would be a lacha on Shabbat. So the gzerat mishum rifu'ah makes a difference what the standard utility of such an item is. That's what the Gemara over here says, alim, don't have a designation as being medicinal, coriander, this kashot, none of these things have designations being rifuah, means that you can use them without worrying about it because their sole purpose is not for medicinal reasons. And therefore, people who are healthy would use them just as much as people who are not healthy, so people who are sick. So that's why it's not a problem on Shabbat. Amar Rabbi Yosef, Kuzbarta afilu di kashali. Yosef, who was blind, says coriander, even for me, is difficult. In that coriander is not only, is it not have inba mishim rifuah, when I said here, it said, does Eimba Mishim Rufuah, that doesn't have a medicinal designation. Over here, Rav Yosef is taking one step further and saying what it means, Eimba Mishim Rufuah, is that not only is it not efficacious in providing medicinal results, it's actually negative. It actually causes pain in the eye. And I, who was blind, still had pain from this coriander when it was used on the eye. 
So he recommends, obviously, not using it. And Amrav Sheshit, Sheshit, who also was blind, says, Gargira, Afilu Didi Mali. Is Gargira, which is Eruka, or rocket plant, Afilu Didi Mali. It was even good for me. Me, who was blind, it was good for my eyes. It helped my eyes or made me feel better. So certainly for someone who is not blind, it would be helpful. Vamar Muruk, Vamar Shmol, Kominek Shot, Sharu, Bar Mitruza. Any type of hops or kuskuta is permissible except for this truza, which is either like a cucumber or melon type of mixture. That is not because no healthy person would drink that. Only someone who was looking for medicinal solutions would be drinking this, and that's why you cannot drink it on Shabbat. Amrav Chista. Srika Tavio Shari. If it comes to putting it on the roasted meat, it's mutar. PPA BA Asur. But the scrambled egg is a source. So let's explain what these are. So Rashi explains this. Shri Katavio, according to Rashi, is Shrok for the Tuach Shemen Ubeitzim Migulgalim. To take oil and soft boiled eggs and place them on top of the roasted meat while it's still hot. And then it quasi cooks. We we'll say that it finishes up the cooking process, it cooks on top of the meat. Now, obviously, if the meat is yatsu leted bo, then it would be impermissible because then you would be cooking on Shabbat. But here's a case where the meat is not yatsu leted bo, it's nighttime, you're allowed to place this soft boiled egg and oil on top of the roasted meat in order to have the egg finish up its cooking process to make it, let's say, quote unquote, edible. On the other hand, what you can't do is pipuye bay, which is to scramble a soft boiled egg, and then put it into the pot, into the heated pot, because there it's mechzeke bishul. It looks like you're cooking on Shabbat. This next story will enlighten us as to what's going on here, which is the bitu de Ziiri. The wife is Ziri, Avdele de Khir Barashi. Khir Barashi was visiting Ziiri's house, and so his wife made for him this and he refused to eat it on Shabbat. It's good enough for your Rebbe. I make it for Ziri and he eats it, no problem. So you're going to not eat it? But you're more holy than your Rebbe? That you can't eat this? The Gemara answers, Ziri letame. Ziri is lishitato, which is, the Amar Ziri, no tena dam yain salulu maim salulim mishameret. Person can take clear wine, clear water, and put it through the filter b'Shabbat. And we don't worry about it. Alma, since it's drunk in that way, you're not doing anything new to it. So to over here, since it's eaten in that manner, then you aren't doing anything to change its status. The answer is that Ziiri would have eaten the soft-boiled egg as is. He would have eaten it. He had taken the soft-boiled egg and he would have eaten it. So when his wife put it onto the tzli, put it on top of the roasted meat, the additional cooking or the additional preparation that is done to that egg in that scenario, again, it's not yet to let it bow, does not really change the status of the egg. The egg was edible to him before, it's edible afterwards. So whatever you've done in this process to the egg is not considered to be the malach of cooking or bishul because bishul means that you take something that was not edible or not ready before and you put it into its ready state. Over here, the egg was ready before, it's ready afterwards. But for Khir Barashi, who would not eat it in the soft-boiled state and would only eat it after it was put on the meat, meaning that after it was fully prepared, for him, there was something significant that happened when she placed the egg onto the roasted meat because prior to that, he wouldn't have eaten it. Now he would eat it. So now something's happened. There's been a transformation here for him that makes it edible on Shabbat, and that's problematic. Again, the case by when you scramble the egg and put it in the pot, there nobody's going to allow it because it's mechzeh looks like you're cooking on Shabbat. Over here, the egg on the meat, it's not clear that it literally is cooking because you don't have yad 
But it's doing something that's mechzik ibishul. It looks like cooking because you're taking it from a state where one wouldn't eat it to a state where one would eat it. For Ziri, that wasn't true. For Ziri, he would eat it in either state. So there was nothing happening. But for Khir Bashi, it was a movement. Some say that what was made edible here is the meat itself. That basting of the egg and the oil on top of the meat is what made it edible. And that was the transformation over here. Not the soft boiled egg, but rather the meat itself that was being transformed into an edible state between whether it had the basting or without the basting. And that is that Ziri ate it with and without the basting. The Rabashi would only eat it with the basting on it, and that's why we have that differentiation. The Urbano Hanano, it's quoted in Tosfot, also here in the Urbano Hanano, says that actually what transpired over here with regards to this Srikatavya is Mei Shome'e Avatichim. It is the water of the innards of a watermelon. Shemesaninino Tobi Mishamerit. That you filter it through a filter, and then you drink that liquid, and they're a good laxative. So that's Rabbeinu Hananel's read on what this is, that this was used as a laxative. So again, then the difference would be that Ziiri would drink this on a regular basis, and therefore wasn't considered to be medicinal. Whereas Chirbashi would not drink this except for its medicinal purposes, and therefore he refused to drink it on Shabbat, because it was classified as medicine. Now, moving on to his example... This example is by the filter. If I take wine that does no longer has sediment in it, if you have wine with sediment in it and you put it through the filter, that's a significant change in the wine. People would not drink the wine beforehand with the sediment in it. After the sediment's removed, that's clear wine, people would drink it. What happens if you take clear wine and you put it through the filter again? So you would drink the wine prior to putting it through the filter and you'll drink the wine after it goes to the filter. So the filter has not done anything significant, what we would call borer. It didn't do the melacha borer because you were equally happy before and after it went through the filter. The same with the water. The water was clear beforehand, put it through the filter, and the water is clear after it comes out, and you would have drunk it in either state. So therefore, you haven't done anything significant with the filter. That's why it's not called borer on Shabbat. It's not called borer. You can do it on Shabbat without worrying about it. It comes to the modern day filters that we put on our sinks onto the water here. What's the status? Are you allowed to have those filters on your sink on Shabbat? Isn't that a problem of Borer? What does it do? It's taking out the impurities. It's taking out what you don't want in the water and leaving behind, giving you the water that you want. So that question really relates to this statement of Ziri, which is, would you have drunk the water from the tap without the filter? So if you would drink the tap water, you just happen to prefer it when it's filtered, that shouldn't be a problem because you would drink it from the tap. It just happens to be, you have a choice now, you'll take it through the filter, then you would opt for going through the filter. So in that instance, that's exactly Ziri's case over here. Drink it before, drink it afterwards. You haven't done anything significant. And therefore, putting the water through the filter would not be Borer on Shabbat. But if you would not drink this water prior to it going through the filter, and you only drink it after it went through the filter, then the filter has done something significant on Shabbat. It's done Borer on Shabbat and might be problematic. The other dispensation in this instance might be according to those that say that if it's microscopic, it's not considered to be Borer. We dealt with this with the kina, with the laus, killing the laus on Shabbat, that even though they maybe they do reproduce, but they still have that status because they're microscopic. We don't see it. It's not open to the naked eye. Same thing might be true here. If you're removing impurities from the water that are not visible to the naked eye, then maybe that's not called borer. Borer is only when you take out things that are visible to the naked eye. So the two dispensations for using these types of water filters on Shabbat on your sinks one is either the fact that you would have drunk it from the tap, it just happens to be you prefer it when it comes through the filter. So if you drunk it either way, you haven't done anything significant. Or the other possibility is that anything being removed is microscopic. 
when it's in the water. If you take the water out and looked at it, you wouldn't see anything in the water. As you're taking up something that wasn't visible to the naked eye, something microscopic, that would not be a problem necessarily of Borer on Shabbat. Those are the two heterim that are used for these types of filters, water filters that are used on Shabbat. Someone who gets an injury on their leg or on their hand. You can soak it in wine. You don't have to worry about that. The assumption again being that the wine is used by people that are healthy and people who have injuries. I mean, it's not something unique to someone with an injury that they put their feet or hands in wine. But they used to soak in wine independent of an injury. So therefore, when you put it in with an injury, it's not indicative of the fact that you're doing something medicinal on Shabbat. Can you put it into vinegar? When we were at the base medish of Ghana, he said that with vinegar, that's too much. That's something that only people with injuries do. That's not something that's done in the normal course. These people have been given them a fan because they are delicate and pampered. Then even wine would be considered medicinal for them because they're so pampered, they're so delicate that putting their limbs into the wine already is to them is something significant because they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that unless it was for medicinal purposes. They'd be too skittish to put their hands and their feet in the wine. So therefore, even putting their hands and feet in the wine is considered to be medicinal in nature. Bina ikla lebei Rav Ashi, chazia didrichale chamra, agavadikari. So Ravina went to the house of Rav Ashi and he saw that he had been trampled by a donkey on the upside of his foot, not the underside, but the top of his foot. And he had it being soaked in vinegar in order to deal with this injury. Don't you hold what Rav Hillel said before, that with vinegar, that's too much, that's medicinal already in nature. He says that the top of your hand and the top of your foot are different because they are considered to be a dangerous type of injury and that could lead to Problems that endanger one's life, and therefore you're even allowed to be mechalel Shabbat on those limbs. Some had it this way. And you're also a little bit delicate, fragile, pampered. When it comes to the top of the foot or the top of the hand, that's different because of the danger incurred in these situations. The top of the hand and the top of the foot are equivalent to an internal injury. And therefore we are Mechalel Shabbat for those types of injuries. So this has to do with, in terms of dealing with medicinal issues on, on Shabbat, there are different stages or categories. We have Sakana, a person who's sick but has no danger to life or limb in that case. There we generally allowed violations of Yisurei Derabanan if necessary. Obviously someone who's sick who has danger to life or limb, then we allow you to violate Shabbat, even right or we want to ask you to opt to go to a akum in the case where you could do it yourself. We even might promote or ask you to do it yourself to show that it's more important, that life is more important than keeping of Shabbat. But this is not limited to simply danger in terms of life or death danger. It has to do with loss of limb danger here because that could lead to more dangerous situations. Here, even when the injury is on top of the hand or the foot, where it seems that it's only a limb that's in danger, nevertheless, limb being in danger already is classified as sakanat nifashot. 
as being the life or death situation. Same is true with things like eyes and eyesight. These types of things that we put them into the same category as Sakanat Nefashot, and therefore we have a wider dispensation to deal with them on Shabbat in those types of injuries. These are what we known as hot springs of some sort. President can't bathe in Megrar. Grar we know from Avram and Yitzchak was in the location of the Plishtim somewhere down south. Not sure of the exact location of it today. Then there is May Hamatan. May Hamatan is a city that they've excavated, they found. It was a short distance from Tiveria and known for its hot springs. May Asya is something like the word Asia, but it's from the east side of the Kinaret, something to the east of the Kinaret where they also had hot springs. We made Tiveria and the hot springs of Tiveria. So all those places one can go and wash themselves on Shabbat. One may not do that in the Mediterranean. And one can't do that in the soaking flax. And not in the Dead Sea. Is that really true? We have to say you can go and bathe in the hot springs of Tiveria as well as in the Mediterranean. But not in the soaking flax. And not in the Dead Sea. So the distinction that's being drawn here is, do people normally bathe in these areas, even if they're not sick? Or they only bathe in them when they are sick. The the Dead Sea, is considered to be medicinal in nature, and people only bathe in there if they need some sort of medicinal cure. So therefore, Shabbat, you can't bathe there. Hot springs were used in general by people, and therefore, when you did it on Shabbat, it wasn't indicative of the fact that you are doing it for medicinal reasons on Shabbat. Question here is the Mediterranean. Our first bride said, no, you cannot go into the Mediterranean. The second bride said, yes, you can go into the Mediterranean. So how do we resolve that discrepancy? So the Gemara says, Kasha Yamagadola Yamagadol. We have this discrepancy between the Mediterranean. Rabbi Yochanan Lokasha, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi That's the result of a machlok between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. It's not. We have a Mishnah that is found in Parah Mikvahot, Koleyamim Kemikveh. All bodies of water have a din of Mikveh, Shinamar. And when Hashem created the world, He said that all these bodies of water they brought together, we have a gathering of water, a body of water, that's called Yamim, those are the oceans. So any sea, ocean, body of water is going to be classified as a mikveh. Only ocean that has a status of mikveh is the Mediterranean Sea. So what does it mean Yamim? That sounds like it's in the plural. Because the Mediterranean is constructed, made up of many types of waters, because many rivers flow into the Mediterranean, therefore it's a collection of different bodies of water, and that's why it's used, the Yamim in plural is used. All bodies of water like this can be mitahir while they're moving, but they are not considered to be mayim chayim, they're not considered to be live springs. So what we have here is three opinions with regards to mikveh. Just quick, we had this in the Gemara earlier on Shabbat. There's a difference between what we call mikveh and ma'im chayim. Ma'im chayim is a live spring. Certain tumults require a live spring in order to become tahor. You have to actually go and dip into a live spring. Those are the zav. You need it for the hazat sipor of the mitzorah. You need ma'im chayim. And then for the mechatat, for the paraduma, you need ma'im chayim el keli. Those that you require ma'im chayim. You require a live spring for that. Live springs, according to Rashi, are mitahir when they're moving. When the water is in motion, then they are mitahir because they are live 
spring, exactly that. And when it's in movement, that water is mitahir. Tosafot also believes that they're mitahir if you get them into ashboran. If you get them into a collected state, they're also mitahir. In mikveh, on the other hand, is exactly what it sounds like. Mikveh means a gathering of water, a gathering of still water. It has to be a body of water that's still. If a mikveh is moving water, it doesn't work. It's not a mikveh. It has to be what's called ashboren. It has to be gathered together and stationary. It has to be in a location where you've isolated the water. So if you have rainwater that you're using for a mikveh, it can't be rainwater that's coming down the river. It has to be rainwater that is gathered and then put off in a location where it's stationary now. It's not moving with the river. And it's only kosher when you dip into that type of mikveh. First thing we had was that Rabbi Mayer says that all oceans, all seas have a din of mikveh. They're in ashboren. They're big bodies of water that are quote-unquote, still water, and they're gathered in these locations, and therefore they're a mikveh. Rabbi said it's only true of the Mediterranean Sea. That is a classification of mikveh. Along comes Rabbi Yossi and says, wait a minute. All oceans have a din of what we call mikveh, but they're an unusual type of mikveh, which is that they are mitaher b'zochalim. Even though they move, the water moves in these oceans and seas. You have the wind, you have the waves. The water is moving. Despite the fact that the water is moving, because all, as Ratosavot says, koshah hochim b'shavim, they're back and forth, the water moves. Despite the fact that the water is moving, that is fine in terms of mikveh. That's the way they are. They're called a mikveh, and that's their natural state. Their natural state is to be in motion, and therefore they are good as mikvot, even though the water is moving. On the other hand, they are not mayim chayim. They're not considered to be live springs. Usually when you have water that's moving, and you can use it when it's moving, that's because it's a live spring. So don't think the reason that you can use these oceans and seas is because they're classified as a live spring. No, they're a mikveh. just happens to be that this type of mikveh has the water moving a little bit, and that's why it's okay. But despite the fact they're not classified as Mayim Chaim, and therefore you can't use it for Zavim, they have to go into Mayim Chaim, they can't use it for the Mitzoraim that need it for their Tzipor, and the Kadesh Vemei Chatat to make Parah Duma. But what you have here is the Machlok of the Rebbe Rabbi Yehuda in regards to the status of the Yam Gadol, the status of the Mediterranean. That is that Rabbi Yehuda believes that the Yam Gadol is a mikveh, and no other body of water has that status. The Mediterranean is unique in its status. Well, if it's unique in its status, the Gemara wants to suggest now that he's the author of the Brayta that says you may not go into the Mediterranean on Shabbat, because the Mediterranean has a unique designation. If it has a unique designation, that means it's not normally used, it's not the normal course of business. As opposed to Rabbi Meir, thinks all bodies of water have the same status. Since all bodies of water have the same status, then the Mediterranean is no more unique than the Kinneret. And so bathing in them would not have any differentiation. That's the Gemara's assumption here. That's what the difference between the two Brayta that we saw before between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. Mat Kivla Rav Nachman, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Nachman is asked on this, he says, Imor tumavatara. I don't see how you can correlate these two Machlokot. Maybe they argue about Tumantara, Lehim Shabbat, Mishmaidlo. Who says with regards to Shabbat that they argue? There are two different issues. One issue is Tumantara, is it a classification of a mikveh or not a classification of a mikveh? Shabbat is a different standard. The standard there is, do people normally bathe there or not normally bathe there? Nothing to do whether it's classified as a mikveh or not. You're mixing and matching two different issues. Depends how much time you spend in it. If you go in and out quickly then even the Mediterranean would be fine because that's not considered to be bathing for medicinal reasons. If you stay, you tarry in the water, then that already has a medicinal side to it because people only tarry in the water when they are trying to cure something, when they're trying to have the curative properties of these water bodies. Mar says, Mayu kimtala bachraito. So now that latter brighta, what do you suggest now? Deloishtai, it's a case where he did not tarry in the water because that's why the Mediterranean was allowed. If he didn't tarry, then you can even go into a soaking flax. Water with soaking flax in it. We have a bright. One can go and bathe in 
the hot springs of Tiberia, or in the water that is soaking the flax, but Yamashal stone, or even in the Dead Sea. He has scabs on his head, but it's clear that he's doing it for medicinal curative properties. Nevertheless, he's allowed to do this. Why? As long as he doesn't tarry there. If he just goes in and out quickly, then it doesn't look like he's doing it for curative properties for medicinal reasons. But he stays there, it's a sore. So that can't be the explanation of the two brights. Depends on what type of water you're going into. If you're going to glean nice water in the Mediterranean, then it's mutar, because people would bathe in that water. And so if you're going in there, you can't tell the difference if you're bathing or you're using it for curative properties. On the other hand, abiraim shibo. It's, if you go into the malodorous water, you go into dirty water in there, and it's clear nobody would bathe in that water. The only reason to go into that type of water is because it's curative in nature, and there it's clearly evidence of it being medicinal in nature. Say, me mishra, me mishra, na kasha. The, the soaking flax water, that also is not a problem. In the last brighter, what the third brighter we brought says it's mutar. In the previous two brighter, we said it was asur. The answer to that is lokasha. We already said the difference is hadishtai, hadaloishtai. The difference is whether he tarries in the water or not. If he simply jumps in and out of that type of water, that's mutar, because people would do that. But if he tarries in that type of water, that already is considered to be medicinal nature, and then you can't do it. That'll be the answer to the distinction that we drew here. One is if you don't tarry in the water, it's not a problem, because people go in and out of these locations all the time. Nothing to do with medicinal nature of them. And so that would be permissible even in these strange situations where you jump into the water that's soaking the flax or even into the Dead Sea. On the other hand, if it's something that you're going to stay a little longer in, then only in places where people normally bathe would it be permissible versus places that people would not normally bathe. So not normally bathe is in the Dead Sea. That's not normal for people to bathe in. It's not normal for people to bathe in the water that the flax is soaking in. It's not normal for people to go into malodorous areas of the Mediterranean. Those will all be considered to be medicinal on Shabbat, and you can't go in because those are things people don't normally bathe in. On the other hand, all the hot springs that we saw, as well as the Mediterranean, when you're dealing with clear water, or any other body of water where people normally bathe in it, you go in on Shabbat, even though you intend for medicinal reasons, that's not a problem because there's no evidence or it's not obvious that you're doing it for medicinal reasons, you could be equally bathing as doing it for the curative properties of that water body. Alright, next Mishnah. This Mishnah basically lays out the distinction that we mentioned before, which is the idea that something that is normally eaten by healthy people is not considered to be medicinal on Shabbat, if you eat it, even if you use it for medicinal purposes. And that is, Enochlim Izvayon. One cannot eat hyssop b'shabbat. Now this Izvayon, you see that in other Gersaot, it is Ezov Yavan. So that would be Greek hyssop. You can't have on Shabbat. Healthy people don't eat it. If healthy people don't eat it, the only reason you're eating it is medicinal, and that would be impermissible on Shabbat. Avo Ochahuet Yo'ezer. You're allowed to eat Yo'ezer, which we'll see it in the Gemara. Shoteh Abruvroa. And people also eat this it's called eupatakium, which is also another type of drink that was drunk even by healthy people. We'll see again in the Gemara, we'll discuss this. Here, the Gemara admission lays out the basic principle, which is, kol ha'chulim, ochel adam refuah, a person can eat anything for medicinal reasons and drink anything for medicinal reasons, chutz mimeti kalim, v'kosi karim. The exception of these two items, which is the water from the palm tree, and the kosi karim, water that comes from roots being soaked in the water, People only drink that substance for jaundice. If he's thirsty and he just needs a drink and he needs some water and this is what's there, he can drink that. And he can also put on this oil from the roots on his body if it's not done for medicinal reasons. So if it's specifically not done for medicinal reasons, it's fine. If it's done for medicinal reasons, then it's problematic because these items 
are basically only used for medicinal purposes. Since they're only used for medicinal purposes, you can't do it on Shabbat. But all other food and all other drinks, since people normally eat and drink these items, even healthy people, therefore on Shabbat, it's not a problem. If you're sick and you're doing specifically to, because you're sick, for instance, like a hot tea or a chicken soup. If you're eating chicken soup because you have the flu, you're drinking hot tea because you have a sore throat, that's permissible on Shabbat because normal people and healthy people would have chicken soup on Friday night. They would also have a hot tea on Shabbat. So since normal people would do that, it's not obvious that you're doing specifically for the refuah. And because of that, it's permissible on Shabbat because it's not uniquely designated for refuah. Moshe Feinstein has a chupa with regards to vitamins. What about taking vitamins on Shabbat? In general, we don't take pills, we don't take medication on Shabbat. Again, unless it's dangerous to life or limb, or there's a medical reason why you must take it on Shabbat. But we generally opt not to take medicine unless it's absolutely necessary on Shabbat. What about vitamins? People take vitamins on a voluntary basis. You should be taking your multivite on Shabbat. So Moshe argues that multivites are not just taken by people who are sick. Multivites are taken by healthy people as well. And therefore it's considered to be what we call, quote-unquote, machal briim. It's a food of healthy people. And therefore to take a vitamin on Shabbat like that, the multivite would be permissible because it's not obvious that you're doing it for medicinal purposes or medicinal reasons. And you could argue on that point. One is that it's specifically designed like as a pill. It's designed to look like a medicine, quote-unquote, even though it's not used in that way. So it's not really like machal. It's not a foods item like the mission talks about, which is something that's edible that you would eat in other circumstances. That's one thing you could disagree with. The other one is you could disagree that there are certain vitamins, I would say always with multivites, but there are clearly certain vitamins where people only take them when they have a deficiency. Vitamin K, vitamin D, where people are taking them specifically because they have a deficiency, and they wouldn't take them otherwise. So over there, maybe it would be much more problematic, even according to Ramesha. Vitamin C would be the one maybe in the middle. Some people take vitamin C all the time, even when they're healthy. Others only take vitamin C when they are sick. So that's a good question with vitamin C. Where does that stand in this regard? But that's what the Mishnah is basically laying out, which is that if normal, healthy people use this, then you're not considered to be engaging with medicine on Shabbat. If it's only used by people with a deficiency, with a sickness, then that's considered to be medicine and it would be problematic on Shabbat. Amrav Yosef, Ezov, Ezov, Zabrata Bar Hemeg, Ezvayon, the Ezov Yavan, or this Greek hyssop is Avrata Bar Hemeg. So now, either that's the colloquial term that they use for them, or Rashi brings an interpretation from his Rebbeim that it's Avrata, it's hyssop, barhemic, that grows amongst the reeds. And avrata, barhemic, is the hyssop that grows amongst the thorns. So it's a location of where it grows, according to his rebbeim. Otherwise, that was a colloquial term. They're looking for something that's written in Hebrew in the Mishnah, Ezov. And now they're in Bavel, they're looking for the common term or the local word for whatever it is. And that's what they brought over here. That's the two possibilities of what you have over here. Identifying Ezov and this Izevayon. Ulamar, Ulamar says that this Ezov, Mina Torah, what was called Ezov in the Torah, is a Marva Chivara. It's white sage. White sage is what the Ezov that is mentioned in the Torah is. Ula Iklu Bey Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda went to the house, the Beit Midrash of Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda. They brought out to him white sage. This is the Ezov in the Torah. This is what it was talking about. It's marjoram. Marjoram is what the Ezov in the Torah is. What Rapapi says makes sense. We have a Mishnah, Mitzvah Ezov. The way that you need when you take Ezov to use it in the ceremonies that it's used for in terms of being mitahir. People, that should be Shloshak Lachim. It should be three stalks. Then give olim. And on each of those three stalks, there should be three calyxes, meaning that they should have three heads. Each stalk should have three heads that come out of it. 
And the only one of the items identified here that looks like that is this marjoram. This marjoram has this type of property to have a stalk and to have multiple heads that come out of the stalk. So Mar says, What do you eat it for? What is it good for? Efficacious for? says, Dispose of worms. Seems to be like a tapeworm or some sort of worm that's caught in the digestive tract. That this is efficacious for removing. What do you combine it with to eat it with? Sheva tamri uchmata. You have it with seven black dates. Maybe I have you. Why do you get this tapeworm, this digestive worm disease? Because you ate mikimcha desare, barley flour, the chalifele arbin yom. Eating it 40 days after it's being milled. Barley that's kept around for a long period after it was milled, that's what causes this problem, this disease or this worm disease. And to remove it, you have this Azov, quote-unquote, the shumshuk, along with the black dates, and that helps you to remove the worm from the body. Next we have, Avalochelhu et yoezer. We had yoezer in the Mishnah, my yoezer. What is this yoezer? It says, putnek. Putnek is pennyroyal. The my ochilo. Why would you eat this? What is it good for? The arkato. So Rashi says this is the worms in the liver. Worms that are in the liver, this is good for getting rid of those worms in the liver. With what do you eat it? You eat it with seven white dates. What generates it? It's from eating. The umsa sometimes means like a carpaccio or raw meat. And umsa sometimes means roasted meat. Raw meat that was put directly on the coals in order to cook it. Omaya and water on an empty stomach. Or from fat, very fatty meat on an empty stomach. Or from the meat of an ox on an empty stomach. Miam goza alibareikana. Or from nuts on an empty stomach. Umigire derubia. Shoots of fenugreek alibareikana on an empty stomach. Umashte maya batrein. You drank water after that. You ate one of these items on an empty stomach and drank water after it. Vilo. If you don't have this pennyroyal, you don't have this yoezer to eat, then what should you do? Livla takle chivarta. You should swallow white press. Vilo. If that's not the case, leite b'tanita. Person should fast. Leite bisra shmeina. And then should bring this fatty meat. Lelishte agumre. And then put it on the coals in front of you. And you should squeeze out one of the limbs from this meat that's on the coals. And then you should swallow it or have the juice from this meat together with vinegar. Some people say you shouldn't have vinegar. Because it's bad for your liver. And you should bring these scrapings from a thorn bush. That you scrape from the top of the bush downward. Follow me to tie the but not from the bottom upwards. Dilma, nafka aide pume, because if you do that, maybe it will be expelled up through your mouth instead of through your digestive system. So the assumption being that if you scrape down, that would make the medicine cause the worm to exit uh, through your digestive system. But if you scrape the bush upward, that upward motion that was used for the scrapings would tell the worm to exit through the mouth instead of through the digestive system. Then you cook it up in beer or in some intoxicating liquor. At twilight. The next day you plug all the orifices in his body. And then he should drink it. So the question of why you plug the orifices of this individual actually brings down one possibility is because it should be so potent and not escape from him, plug all the orifices so that it stays inside his body. Or the other possibility is you should plug his nose so he doesn't smell it because the smell would make it difficult for him to drink. 
And Rashi brings a second interpretation in regards to Be'i Shivave, instead of being Benashmashot, meaning twilight, rather Be'i Shivave means the house of his neighbor. And the house of his neighbor because he shouldn't smell it while they're cooking it because that would also be difficult for him. Belishte, and then you drink it. Chimafne, and when you defecate, Mafne Avshicha de Dikla. You should defecate on a palm tree or a palm branch that has already been stripped of its bark. Shotim Abuvroa. Abubroa was the other item in the mission that was mentioned that you're allowed to drink on Shabbat. My Abubroa. What is this Abubroa? Chumtario. Chumtario, again, which I mentioned in the Mishnah, is this epitorium. And then the Gemara brings an additional, it says, my Chumtario, they didn't know what that was. What's that? Chutra Yechida, a soul stick. And others interpreted it to be liverwort drink. So, whether it's this epitorium or this liverwort drink, that's what this Abuvroa is. My Avdila, what is it efficacious for? It's for water that was left exposed overnight. And there a day they felt if you left drinks or liquids exposed overnight, they were dangerous to drink because snakes would come out drink deposit their venom in those drinks when they came to drink from them. So if you drank water that had been left out overnight exposed, then this is efficacious for dealing with that. Vilo, if you don't have this, if you don't have that, you should bring five roses and five cups of beer. You should cook them together. Until you cook them to the point where they're distilled to a revit, and then you should drink it. The mother of Avdalei she made this potion for some individual. She only used one rose and one cup of shikra. Shalka, she cooked it up. Vishkite, and he drank it. Vishagra Tanura. Then she fired up the, the oven. Vigrafte, and then she cleared out all the coals, everything from the oven. Vodvite Levinta Begave. Then she put some bricks in there, cool bricks, that he could sit on them. And then he sat in the oven, the heat in the oven, after he drank this. And the venom that he had swallowed from this exposed water came out like a green liquid. Didn't say how it was expelled. Take a reviato log of milk from from a white goat. Ravavia is suggesting over here that a reviato log of milk from a white goat is also efficacious for helping out this situation. The other item that is also efficacious for this is Ravuna Baryuda says, You bring a sweet etrog and then you should bore into it. And then fill it with honey. And then you should place it on the coals of the fire. And then you should eat it. You have urine that is 40 days old. And it's, it's fermented well. If you drink a barzina's worth of that, which here the Orach says is It's one-eighth of a revit. It's a small, very small measurement of it. That's good for a wasp sting. Rivia. If you drink a review to look of this, it's good for lacrova. That is good for scorpion stings. Palga Rivia, half a revit, meaning one-eighth of a log. Rashi says palga Rivia, he says it's chatsi log, it's half a log. Others who say that palga means half of a riva, half of a revit, which would be a eighth of a log. Ligluye is good for the water that had been exposed that possibly had venom in it. Riva, and a quarter log is good even for kishafim, even for witchcraft or sorcery. These three types of drinks are good for 
taking care of the gilui, things that were left open overnight, the pasuk venomenim or a sorcery. So Rashi says, Mayim shenishlak bahen bangari, min esif shishmo bangari. It's a water that had this type of herb or vegetation cooked in it. And uh, anigron, on the other hand, he says is, meishelek tradin. It's a water that had spinach soaked in it. At modern day, tarot is spinach. In the time of the Gemara, tarot might have been a beet. Either had beets or a spinach that were soaked in it. So that's the anigron. The avant-garde, as Rashi says, is a type of bitter herb that was soaked, that used and soaked in the water. And tiraiko is something like balsam, or along those lines. So all of those are good for this gluia, for these exposed drink, liquids overnight that might have venom in them, and for sorcery. Haiman de bala chivya. Person who swallows a snake. Luchle kishuta bemilcha. They should eat the shuta with insult. Shuta could be hops that we saw before. Shuta could be kaskuta, which is one of those two items that he should eat along with salt in order to deal with. Vilarate tzlatamile, and they should run three meal on it. So the belief was that the heat from the running and eating of these items would cause a cooking, quote-unquote, of the snake, and that would cause it to be expelled. Rav Simi Barashi, Chazilau Gavra, the Balachivya, he saw this individual that swallowed a snake. Idmilei Keparsha, came to him like a cavalry man. He wanted to scare him. Uchleik Shuta Milcha, he fed him this Shuta in salt. And he forced him to run in front of him for three mil. The whole idea here is that the fear from the cavalry approaching him, plus the drink, Plus the running, all that heat and all that anxiety would cause the snake to be expelled. And sure enough, an afagme gube gube. And it came out section section, the snake came out of him from this cure. Igadamre, some say Rav Simi Barashi Balachivya. He himself swallowed a snake. At Eliyahu Idmileke Parsha. Eliyahu and Avi appeared to him like a cavalry man. Ochlei Kshuta b'Milcha, he fed him this Kshuta with salt. Baratekam ate flat meal, and he forced him to run in front of him for three meal. And afagme gube gube. It came out of him section section. Haiman de Tarke Chivya. Someone who is bitten by a snake. Leite ubra dechamra chibarte. You should bring a fetus of a white donkey to the kare and then rip it out open. The lot veale and then place it on it. Or I don't know if it's on where the bite was or on him. Vahani mile de lot yishtachach treifa. That's only if the animal is found not to be a treifa. The mother is found to be a kosher animal. Then that works. So how barkasha de pumpadita. There was this appointee of the king, a Jewish appointee of the king in Pumpadita. Tarke Chivya had a snake bite. Avatzleisar Chamrei Chivarta Pumpadita. There were 13 white donkeys in Pumpadita. Karina Lukulu, we opened up all of them. Ve'ashtukachu de Trefa Avai. Every single one of them he opened up was found to be a Trefa. Ha'vechada v'hau gisa de Pumpadita. There was one more white donkey left on the other side of Pumbadita. In the time that they went to go fetch that donkey, a lion came and ate it up. And so they were not able to bring it to him. Maybe he was bitten by a snake of the rabbis. The late Lasuta that has no cure. Because we have the Pasuk in Koela that says, Parades gather. Someone who breaks down fences, should be bitten by a snake. Gather here is the Darim that the Chachamim put up. Chamin put up takanot gzerot as gedarim. If you break those gedarim, yishachenu nachash. Bitten by a snake, and that is not cured. Amrilei in Rabbi. You're right. Abayim, my Rebbe, you're right. Chinach nafshei derav. Rav had passed away. Gazer Rav Yitzchak Bar Bisna. One of his Talmidim, Rav Yitzchak Bisna, was Gozer. Teleka limte asa bedgidme the behilula betavla. People should no longer bring myrtle and palm branches or palm leaves 
to the wedding halls, but tafla, tafla was some sort of instrument. involved drums and bells that they used to bring it together with. Vazaliu, and despite the xera of Rabbi Yitzchak this individual went ahead, Amte Asimu, give me the Beilua. He did. He still brought these items of Simcha to the wedding, the tafla, with this instrument. Therefore, he was bitten by a snake and he died. He died because it was a snake bite for violating the words of the Rabbonon, and that has no cure. And as a Tosvot says, even though in other places you may not find it, it may not be successful, over here was that the cure was available to him. There were white donkeys here. There was available to him, and despite that fact, everything went wrong. So when everything goes wrong, when it's so obvious that the cure is at hand and everything goes wrong, that already indicates that he has bad mouths now because everything's going bad for him. You can't get to a cure. You can't find a cure. That's not necessarily the case. Here was where it was available to him, and then it didn't work. That's already indicative of it being a snake bite of the Rabbonon. So they had been goes there on the weddings that they took down the level of Simcha because of the death of Rav. It had been so significant, such an impact. Same way that we do by the Churban Abayit, where we try to take down a little bit the level of Simcha because of the Churban Abayit. So, so over here, after the death of Rav, they felt that to be so significant that they wanted to take down the level of Simcha at the weddings. And this person violated that Gezerah of Rav Yitzchak Bar Bisna. Okay, we'll stop over here. Yeah.